Well, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, glad to see you here today, i got a good, good crowd, and uh, I hope you've come praying that the Lord will speak to your heart from His Word today, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse number 11, and we're going to talk about a story today that probably most of us have heard of, most of us could, could tell the story by heart. And uh, but we're going to kind of take a little bit different angle from it. And uh, so I don't know if you've heard a message on this before. You possibly have. But we're going to look at the parable that Jesus taught of the prodigal son. Uh, a parable, and Jesus taught many parables. A parable is just this. It was just a, a simple story or an illustration that Jesus used to get, a tr- get across a moral or a spiritual lesson, all right? And in the same chapter, there's, there's other parables, we'll just mention them, but uh, Jesus used this parable, and he had a purpose behind it. And it usually, at no, every time, had something to do with the people he was talking to, something they could easily relate to. Now, today, I want to talk about this, a relationship with the Father, a relationship with the Father. Now, let's look at chapter 15. In verse 11, if you do this, would you do this? Would you just stand up with me as we read this? And we'll give attention to God's word. And, and I don't have it up on the screen, so uh, you'll just have to follow along with me here. And then hopefully you've got um, your Bible. Uh, I'm still trying to get used to people using their phone. I'm thinking, you're really watching television right now. I know what you're doing. But I'm trying to get used to that. When that first came out, I got on a tangent one time. I said, put your phone up. You know, and he was going, Brother Tommy, you know, and he had the scripture, but I'm trying to get used to that. All right. It's that modern technology. I'm, I guess you, what's the term? I'm old school. All right. So, uh, but that's good. My wife actually takes notes. My wife's getting high tech. She actually takes notes on her phone. Amazing. All right. So uh, anyway, all right. So uh, chapter 15 of Luke and verse number 11, it says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father. Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. 
And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come who has devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed the fatted calf for him, And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Today we're going to talk about a relationship with the father. And we're going to look at the prodigal son just at the beginning for a minute or two. But then we're going to switch over and look at the relationship of the father with this older son, this elder son, and see the relationship that he had. So a relationship with the Father. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would meet with us today. And Lord, I pray that you would speak from your word. And Lord, I pray that you would guide my thoughts. Help me to say only those things that would please you. Help me not to get distracted or chase rabbit trails. Lord, help me to stay focused on what you have me to speak. And Lord, I do not know everyone's heart here. I can't look in and see their heart. They can't look in and see my heart. But Lord, you see all of our hearts. And Lord, I know there's probably many that have come here feeling overwhelmed or burdened today. Uh, Lord, things in their life not going right, things that are putting pressure on us, Lord, just the daily struggles of life. Lord, I pray that you would meet with us. Lord, some of us, our relationship with the Father is not what it should be. It might have been great once, but Lord, we've strayed away. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us. And Lord, I pray that all of us, including myself, would examine where we are today when it comes to this relationship with our Heavenly Father. Thank you for the opportunity that we have on a Sunday morning to come and worship you. And Lord, I pray this time will be profitable. And Lord, I pray that there'll be no distractions, but Lord, you would Help us to zero in in our hearts and listen to what your word's saying to us, Lord, that we would get something from your word that would change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. There are many great stories in the Bible about fathers. If you look, especially in the Old Testament, Noah and his sons, of course, going into the ark, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them were fathers, and there's great stories in the Bible. Even get down to King Saul and his son. If you remember, Absalom rebelled against him and and the story of that, and King David and, and his son Solomon and the many things that happened. So there's all these many stories, even in the New Testament. You could take the story of, let's say, uh, the father of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus, Joseph. And there, there's many stories in the Bible about being a father. But today, one of, the most, one of the most well-known stories is actually a parable. And it's this parable that we're looking at today. Now, even though this message is dealing with a relationship with an earthly father, we're going to compare it with a relationship with a heavenly father. And so this message is going to pertain to all of us. I know we have a lot of fathers in here, but it's not just the fathers today. It's going to be the fathers and the mothers and the children. And this message can speak to all of us because there's a lot of message, a lot of message to it. Now, there is some symbolism in this message because Jesus, if you look in chapter 15 and verse 1, it said this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus was standing before what we would call a pretty tough crowd. A crowd that was against him. And so therefore, 
He starts giving parables. Uh, he gives in, in verse 8 of that chapter, he gives the parable of the lost coin. All right. Uh, just before that, he gives the parable of the lost sheep. And so he ends up giving these parables. Today, we're going to talk about this parable of the prodigal son. Now, the symbolism is this. The symbolism is this. The prodigal, this son that rebels and runs away, he's representing the Gentiles and these sinners that Jesus was speaking of. Remember, they said, these men said, you, Jesus, you keep going and you end up meeting with all these sinners. You go to the home of sinners and eat. And they could not understand that. They never accepted him as the Messiah. They never accepted Jesus as God's son, and they kept trying to find fault. So they said, these Gentiles that you go to, you're giving forgiveness to these Gentiles. That's that prodigal son that we're going to see in the story. And then this elder brother represents the Pharisees who were angry with Jesus for sitting and eating with them. These Pharisees always felt they were better than others. They were better than Jesus, and they were constantly looking down, trying to find fault with him. So we're going to see in this elder brother, this elder son today, how he represents these Pharisees. And then the father shows the heart of Jesus as he welcomes all sinners to come to repentance. So it says, Jesus took these people and, and they were sinners, but he met with them, he, he ate with them, he spent his time with them. If you really look at the life of Jesus, he spent more time with the ungodly people than he did with the godly people in many instances, all right? So this father and this prodigal son story is going to really represent the, the love and compassion of Jesus Christ himself. Now, this parable, this parable that Jesus gives is probably the most well-known, and I think it's because of this, out of all the parables, because out of these three characters, the father, the older son, and the younger son, we can all relate to them in some way. We can see the father's viewpoint and go, yep, I agree with him. We can see the prodigal's viewpoint and how he comes back to the father and you go, yep, that's been me. I've been the prodigal before. Or we can even, as we talk about the older son today, we're going to be able to go, yep, and I see his point. I understand what he's coming from. I see his angle on this. So it's a very dramatic very dramatic, it's full of emotion parable, and we can relate to all these people. Now, let's quickly just review the story, and we read there in chapter 15 and verse 11, and we saw the, where the younger son comes up, and he tells his dad, Dad, I want you to give me the property, I want you to give me my inheritance, that I can have it now. Now, I read this this week, and it was a little bit shocking to me. I did not, you know, we live in our culture and I can relate to the American culture, but you take me to maybe even Nicaragua or somewhere else, and I might not understand their culture, and I'm thinking, why are, these, why are these people thinking this way? Why do they do it that way? Because it's a different culture. Well, during this time, during this time, for a son to ask for his inheritance was really shameful. And it said this, I read this, it said, it was almost like saying this to his father because the fathers were known like patriarchs and they were so lifted up in the family. It was almost like the son saying, Dad, give me my inheritance was almost like saying, I just wish you were dead. I could care less about you, Dad. And that's the attitude that was taken when this son comes and says, give me my inheritance. It was almost like saying, Dad, I don't, I don't care if you, I don't care, I just wish you were dead. I just wish you were dead. So it's really a strong thing for him to come and ask for this. So he comes and he takes it. We know the story. He goes off to a far country. He lives crazy. He blows all of his money. He ends up in a famine and there's no food and he's trying to just survive. We've probably seen drawings or pictures where his clothes are tattered and he's all dirty and he's sitting there among pigs and he's eating the, the swine, the pig's food, and he's just trying to survive. And it says he came to himself. 
in verse 17. And he says this, what am I doing? What am I doing here? I mean, my, my father's servants, my father's servants live way better than me. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to tell my dad, I am not worthy to be named or called your son. I've squandered my attitude, my rebellious attitude of practically wishing you were dead was wrong. And I'm going to repent of that. And I'm going to go back to him and I'm going to say, just make me a hired servant. So it's easy for us to see this rebellionness and sinfulness of this prodigal. We can all relate to that. We can all relate to that. We can also see his returning back to the Father and how in verse 18 and 19 he asks forgiveness and, and says, I'm no worthy to even be called your son. But here's a great thing. Even though he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son, he's still a son. He's still a son. Um, how many times in your life have you strayed away from God or fallen back or committed some sin or something, and in your heart you're thinking, wow, Christians don't do that. Christians shouldn't do that. But look what I just did. Look at the thought I had. It was evil. My actions were, were terrible, and we feel so far from God. And we think this, I'm not even worthy to be called a Christian. I'm not even worthy to tell somebody, hey, I'm a Christian. I go to North Florida Baptist Church, or I go to this church, and we feel so unworthy because we're thinking, how could I have sinned so great? But yet, we know that in Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Say it. It's eternal life. I mean, you know what? If I had to keep myself saved because of my good deeds, I probably couldn't make it a day. <laughs> You know, I probably couldn't last a day. You know, by the end of the day, well, you're not a Christian again. You just blew that at about 3.14 this afternoon. You know, I couldn't keep myself saved one day. But I'm glad that it's eternal life because God is the one who does the keeping. It's not about me keeping myself saved. I could never do it. You could never do that. You could never do it. There's a great passage in Matthew where it says that God takes you and puts you in the palm of his hand. And he says this, no one can pluck you out of my hand. So I'm glad today that my salvation's not on me, but it's on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And it's God that keeps me safe. That's where my eternal life rests. So once a son, always a son. Once a Christian, what? Always a Christian. Once a child of God, Always a child of God. You can never become an unchild of God. I used to use this illustration. I don't know if I've told you this before, but I would use this with young people a lot. I'd say, because a lot of times, you know, when you're younger, it's real easy to doubt. It's even easy for adults to doubt about their salvation. Did I really get saved? But I would have, I remember we had, uh, at one church I had, we had a bus ministry and we had about a hundred teenagers that I got to speak to every week. It was awesome. And those teenagers would come in there and, and there would be, certain ones of them that they would want to get saved every week. Every week, I need to get saved. And I would say, you know, I'll use the name Bill. Bill, Bill, you, you, you said you got saved last week. What happened? Brother Tommy, you don't know what I did this week. You don't know what I did. They were sincere. They were sincere. I mean, you probably see that, Brother Stephen, that prison ministry. They, were so, they would say, you don't know what I thought. You don't know what I did. There's no way I could be saved. And I would go through it over and over and over. And so I started, I feel like God kind of gave me a little bit of a story. And I said, look, I said, what's your dad's name if they knew their dad? Or what's your, your mom's name or whatever? And I would say, now, you got the same name or you, that's your dad, right? And some of them didn't have the same name or that didn't matter. But I would say this, how long are you the son of your father? Well, they'd think about it. I'd say forever. 
And I'd, and I'd say, you know, let me ask you this. What if you live in Georgia and they live in Florida? Are you still their son? What if you move to California? Are you still their son? And then I would say, what if you get in an argument with your dad and you tell your dad, I'm checking out, I'm out of here. I don't ever want to see your face again. Are you still his son? And the answer is yes. And the answer is this. There is nothing that you or I could do to not be the son. There's nothing. It's in my blood. I am my father's son. If I never see him again, I cannot change it. And salvation is that same way. It's in the blood of Jesus Christ. It cannot be changed. So this prodigal, as bad as as terrible as it was, he comes to himself and he says, I'm no worthy. And he wasn't worthy, but he was still a son. Now, this morning, I want us to take a few moments and I want us to look at this older son, this elder son. And I want us to see it from a viewpoint of where he's coming from. Because this, this older son, this elder son, represents so many of us here today. We've had these feelings. We've had these thoughts. We've, we've rationalized this way. And so as we look at this older son, first of all this, we could probably think of some great things to say about this son. Evidently, he's a hard worker. I mean, this guy's out there in the field every day. So you could say, hey, this guy's a, a hard worker. He's a, he's a great son. I mean, he's, he's still there. This other one ran off. He's still there. Maybe you could say he's loyal. You know, he didn't quit. He didn't quit. So he's got some stability, got some character about him. He's not a quitter. All right. There's great things you could say about him. But I also want to see some things today where he failed. And number one is this. The elder son became so busy in the field, the father's business, that he lost personal contact with the father. Now, as we go through this, we're talking about this parable and we're looking at an at a elder son, a prodigal son, and a father. But I want you to get the spiritual emphasis that we're trying to put on this today. All right? Because we're talking about us and who? A heavenly father. So here's the point. This older son became so busy in the field, his father's business, that he lost personal contact with the father. Now, it is true that when a person becomes a child of God, they need to start serving the Lord. I mean, let's just be honest. Most people that go to a church, if you don't get involved in something, you're probably going to drop out of church. If you're not involved, if you don't get in Sunday school or if you don't take a position of working or if you don't try to start inviting people to church or if you don't do something to start serving the Lord in your local church, you're probably just going to fizzle out and drop out or church will just become something that you do. I just go there, all right? I just go there. So there's the involvement. But somewhere in there, we are to do good works. Now, if you think about this, We'll, there's, two, there's two judgments. There's the great white throne judgment. That judgment are for those that are unbelievers that will be cast into hell. But the judgment seat of Christ is where all of us who have Jesus Christ at heart, we will stand for the judgment seat of Christ. Now, our sin will not be judged. Jesus took care of that. What will be judged? Our works. What I do in this body for God. So works are important. But what I want us to see today is this. There's a relationship it is all about a relationship. If you look around the world at other religions and you compare it to Christianity and even maybe some denominations that call themselves Christians, if it's nothing but works-oriented, it's wrong. See, Christianity is not works-oriented, though works are important, we serve God. Christianity is all about relationship with God. 
It's about relationship with God. So many, so many other religions, they're trying to work their way to paradise or I'm working my way to heaven or I'm working my way so that my God will say I'm worthy of coming in. We can never do that because we're not worthy. But what we are is we're in a relationship. So here's what happened to this older son. He's working. He's out there in the field. He's so busy. He's out there working. He's sweating. He's doing a good job. But you know what? When it comes to him and his father, there's nothing there anymore. There's no relationship. There's no relationship at all. You see, he was a good worker, but he lost the relationship. Now, how does that relate to us? Listen, and I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I've done this before. I've been in the ministry a pretty good while. And if I'm not careful being in the ministry, I can say, hey, that's my job. I get paid for being, you know, on the staff at North Florida Baptist Church. And that's just my job. So when it's church things, I'll do church things, but then I'll go over here and live this way. And if I'm not careful, it could become my job instead of my relationship. Instead of my relationship. And if you're not careful, going to church can become like a job or something I feel like I have to do instead of a relationship that's not just Sunday or Wednesday night, but it's Sunday through Saturday. It's Sunday through Saturday. You see, we can go through the motions. If we gave a questionnaire today about right and wrong, probably every one of us would get 100 on it because we know what's right, we know what's wrong. We know, the, we know all the answers. But it's not about knowing all the answers. It's all about a relationship with the Father. Now, when we think about works, we say this. Does God need me to get His works done? Does He need me? I mean, God wants me to work and labor for him, but does God have to have Tommy Stone to get it done or it's not going to get done? And the answer is no. The answer is no. As I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of Bible stories, and I'm thinking, what if Moses had said, God, I am not doing it. I am not going back to Egypt. I'm not doing it. What if Moses had rebelled, and he did balk, but what if he had rebelled to the point where he said, I'm not going back to Egypt and telling that Pharaoh, let my people go? What would have happened? Would God have just said, oh, man. I guess that's it. They're staying there forever now, man. I ain't got nobody to get them out. You know what God would have done? He'd have chose somebody else. And Moses would have missed the blessing. Moses would have never been the great leader that God made him had he rebelled and backed away from what God was telling him he wanted him to do. See, it's not that God needs me to get his work done, but God wants my heart. I need God. I need to work for God. I need to labor for God. I need to do the things for God because that keeps my relationship close to Him. As God says, hey, you do things for me, your heart, you feel good in your heart about it. You ever done something in the name of Jesus for somebody else? You have a good feeling in your heart about that because I did it for the Lord. I didn't do it for personal pleasure. I didn't do it so somebody would pat me on the back. I did it because I love God. I love God. In, in um. Genesis chapter 22, one of the most amazing stories to me is Abraham and Isaac. When God comes to Abraham and he's made this promise to Abraham that you're going to have this son. And you know the story probably years goes by and uh, they actually try to help God out and it's a mistake. And we're paying for it even today. All right, with Ishmael. And, uh, but finally Isaac is born. Isaac grows up and he's just a young man, maybe a teenager, early 20s. And God says to Abraham... I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, when you stop and think about that, that seems like, God, you are totally contradicting yourself. Because, God, you told me that my son, that the, 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 uh, 
the relatives of my son was going to be like the, the sea on the, the sand on the seashore. It was going to be like the stars in heaven. And, I mean, the heritage was going to be unbelievable. But now you're telling me to kill him. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I could see Abraham saying, wait a minute, God, this is like you're going back on what you said to me. You're contradicting yourself. But you know what Abraham does? He does what God tells him to do. He gets a couple of servants to go with him. They load up the donkey. They take off. They go to the mountain that he tells them to do. They take the wood. They take the fire. They take the knife. They get there without a sacrifice. Because Isaac doesn't know it, but Isaac's going to be the sacrifice. And when they get there, Abraham turns to the two servants. He says, you stay here with the donkey and me and the, my son will go to the mountain and worship God and sacrifice to God. And then he says this, and we will return again to you. Now, let me tell you what that shows. That's some great faith. Let me tell you why. Because God had promised Abraham something. And Abraham said, God's not going to go back on his promise. I don't know how this is going to work out. Doesn't make any sense to me. It seems like a contradiction. It seems like the exact opposite of what's supposed to happen. But I'm going to go up here on this mountain and I'm going to sacrifice my son. And you know what? We're going to come back down to worship because Isaac's going to have to come back down with me. It's the only way. It's the only way he can have the relatives like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. It has to be done. So as they're walking up there, Isaac says, Dad, We've, we've got the wood and we got the fire. You know, Dad, we forgot the most important thing. We forgot the sacrifice. We forgot the sacrifice. They get up there and Abraham says, God will provide a sacrifice. And it's an amazing story in Genesis where it goes up there. And you know what's amazing? Isaac doesn't struggle with it. Now, if my dad would have said, you are the sacrifice, I would have been running like he's never seen me run before. I'd have been faster than he ever, I, he wouldn't have caught me that day. I don't know how to do it. He wouldn't have caught me. I would have been booking out through there, you know. But it says that he tied him up and he lays him on the altar. Picture of Jesus. He lays Isaac on the altar. And the Bible says that, and you know the story, that Abraham takes that knife and he rears back and he's going to take his life. He's doing it. And God stops him at the moment, the moment before he does it. And God said this, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Listen to what God says. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You see, in God's eyes, Abraham sacrificed Isaac because he got to the point he knew he was doing it. And God stopped him at that split second before he did it. So in in, in God's eyes, Abraham sacrificed killed Isaac. But you know what? Here's an interesting thought. I didn't think of this for years. This wasn't just a slitting of the throat and the blood running out and the body being there. It was a burnt offering. He was going to burn the body. So it wasn't just going to be slitting the throat and then God heals him and he gets back off the altar. We're talking about ashes of a body. But Abraham trusted him so much, he said, even though I take his life, even though I set it on fire and I burn his body, somehow, somehow, God's going to do a miracle. It's going to be amazing. And Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the, the faith chapter, and it tells stories of great faith of different people. It, tells, it mentions this story, and this is what it says in verse 19 about Abraham. Listen to this. 
He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. So Abraham, though it made no sense to him, kill my son, it took me years before you gave me this son. I know God's going to do a miracle. He has to. You know why? Because God's going to keep his word. Now, this elder son, this older son, was very self-centered and very self-righteous. In verse 29, this is what he said. He said, Father, I have never, ever disobeyed your commandment. Now, you know what? I don't know if there's anybody in this room that could say that. You never disobeyed your dad or you never disobeyed your mom? I can't say that. I remember one time I was, I, I, there was a kid at school, I, at church, and uh, he was about three years older than me. I think I was about six. He's probably nine or ten. And, and he was a rebellious kid, man. And uh, he would tell his mother to shut up. I remember the first time he did I was going, you know, I'm thinking, good night. I might not live through that if I did that, you know. But he would tell her to shut up all the time. And, I mean, he was a rebellious kid, you know. You would see other adults like, you tell your mother that. You know I mean? They'd, they'd try to step in for her, but he would do it all the time. I heard him do it so much. One day I was at home on a Saturday, and I was in the kitchen. I mean, you know how some things mark you? This marked me. I was in the kitchen. My dad told me something. I have no idea why. I turned around and said, oh, shut up. I'd heard this guy say it so many times. He came out of my mouth. The countenance on my dad's faith changed, face changed so much, I literally thought, I'm running for my life. And I turned around, and I remember hitting the kitchen door, and I took a left down the driveway. I don't know why I was running like I got out running, but I thought I was going to die. But I, and I got in the backyard, and I'm running. All of a sudden, I remember my dad's hand hit my rear end with my blue jeans, and I was up there. I mean, my legs were doing this. I was not going anywhere, you know. And I won't tell you the rest of the story, but I did live through it, and I'm here today. But, um, you know, you know that, but you know what that is, that oh, the elder son had such a self Center. He said, Dad, I've done everything you've asked me to do, and yet, you know, look what I get. Look what I get, you know. Uh, if you remember the story of Jonah, Jonah ends up going to Nineveh, but did he want to go? Even when he got there, he was still rebellious in his heart. And with him, it was like a, a thing where it was almost like a racial thing. He hated those people. And he, and he said, I don't want to go. And then he says this. He said, I knew this was going to happen. They've all repented and turned to God. I knew this was going to happen. He was mad about it. How do you get mad when some people get saved? Jonah got mad. His heart was pretty rebellious. Pretty rebellious. You see, the people that Jesus was at odds with were those self-righteous people, those Pharisees. And Jesus did this. He said, you know what you Pharisees are? You ones that are fighting against me going to the sinners, you're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. In Matthew 23, he says this, you're like whitewashed tombstones, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. He said, you're like a, you're like a bunch of dead bones to me. He said, oh, you look great on the outside. But he's saying this, your inside is dead, it's corrupt. It's corrupt. Secondly, let's notice this. The elder son could not see the compassion of the father for the lost son. He could not see it. The, the elder son was so focused on himself that he could not look at his younger brother and see any compassion at all. He could never see the compassion. I mean, had, you know what? Think about this. Had the older son been spending time with his dad, even though he was working, if he still had that relationship with his dad, you know what he would have had? he would have had the heart of his dad. He would have had that same compassion, that same desire. 
that his father had. They would have had those talks where his dad would have said, with tears rolling down his face, son, we got to pray for your younger brother. We got to pray that, that he'll come back. We don't even know if he's alive or not. We got to pray that God will keep him alive and that God will bring him back. And he would have had that same compassionate heart. You know, I can picture the dad standing out on that porch many times looking, just saying, Oh God, please bring my son back down that road. Please bring my son back down that road. Bring my son back to me. But I doubt very seriously if the elder son ever stood out there on the porch with him. Because this elder son felt no, no responsibility about his brother. I don't think he wept for him. I don't think he searched for him. I don't think he ever went and said, Dad, I'm going to go find him. I'm going to go bring him back. You see, had the elder brother seen the prodigal coming home, the prodigal would have never made it to the father. Had the elder son, the older brother, been out on that porch or out in the front, and he would have seen his younger brother coming, who looked all tattered and torn and dirty and everything, I could just picture him going out there and say, you are no worth, you are, you are a scum. You're not worthy to come back here. Turn yourself around and go right back where you came from. I think he would have turned him away because he felt no responsibility. Now, the elder brother was rational. This was his thinking, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He was thinking this toward his younger brother. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. But see, that's not how God the Father sees. If God the Father was rational like that and said, you hurt me and I'll hurt you, we would all be going to hell. I'd split hell wide open because I've hurt God many times. You see, God the Father has forgiveness and love and mercy beyond what I can even imagine. And the father in this story had the same feeling for his younger son. Oh, he had a right to say, son, you've just messed up. Everything I gave you, it's gone. Well, you can just turn around and go back out there and live your life. Hope you have a good life. But he didn't, he didn't come at it that way. You see, number three was this. While working in the field, he came calloused and hard toward those who lived in sin. Verse 28, the prodigal comes back. They kill the fatty calf. The dad says, put the robe on him, put the ring on his finger, clean him up, put shoes on his feet. And the brother hears the celebration and he comes back in. And you know what? He doesn't go to the father relationship. He doesn't go to the father and go in and say, dad, what's going on? He goes to one of the servants on the outside and said, what's all the commotion? What's all the celebration? What's all this going on? And as soon as he says, your brother that was dead is alive and has come back, and they're celebrating that your brother's come home. At verse 28, you know what his first response is? He is angry. He is so angry because he's looking at it from her, his viewpoint. And he said, I'm so angry. And he would not go in. He refused to go in. You see, the other, younger brother has returned, but he despises him. He hates him. He rejects him. And it's like those Pharisees who were rejecting those Gentiles that were sinners and needed to be saved. I read this this week and I typed this out. I want to read this to you. It's talking about the responsibility that this older son should have had in this culture. Listen to this. It says, yet custom requires his presence at the celebration. The elder son has a responsibility. He should have been at the door welcoming guests. That's the role of the older son. He has a place in the father's home, a place of honor. In fact, he needs to honor his father with his presence, but he will not go in. He must serve ensuring that all have enough to eat. He must do so especially for the honored guest, the village elders, the rabbis, the teacher of the law. But more than that, 
he would have to serve his younger brother, the guest being honored. This he refuses to do. He will not go in. He will not serve his younger brother. He will not honor his father. And verse 28, let's read it. It says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You see, his, fa- his response to the father was negative. Listen to this. He thinks the fatted calf shows the worth of the younger brother. He thinks, you gave him a fatted calf. You think he's something great. You think he's very worthy. It's not what it showed. The fatted calf did not show the worth of the younger brother. The fatted calf showed the love of the father. The love of the father. You see, the elder son is much like the younger son. The younger son was estranged and rebellious while absent from the home, but the older son was estranged and rebellious in his heart while he was in the home. The rebellion of the younger son was evident in his surrender to his passions to leave the home, but the rebellion of the elder son was evident in his anger and his refusal to enter the home. you got one that runs off, blows his money with harlots, lives a rebellious, righteous life, and you got another one that stayed at home, and in his heart, he's just as rebellious. You see, on the outside, this older son, he looked all great and good. He looked good on the outside. He's out there working, he's sweating. He's... But on the inside, he was just as rebellious as his younger brother. Lastly, let's notice this. The elder son worked for personal recognition and missed, and missed the benefits of being a son. He said, Dad... I've obeyed you my whole life. I'm out here working hard. But you know what? You never killed a goat for me. You never gave me a celebration like that. I'm the one that stayed. The one that ran off and took all your inheritance. He comes home and look what you do for him. You've never done that. And in verse 31, look at this verse. Verse 31. The father says, And he said to him, Son, You are always with me. And notice this. And all that is mine is yours. (laughs) And you know that's the way it is with God the Father. God the Father says, you know what? You're my child. You always will be my child. You'll always be my child. But it goes down to the heart. You know, even as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're not careful, we will see other believers stray away from God, think about it different than we think about it, and we'll run them down. When they need us to go over and do what? Pick them up. Pray for them. Encourage them. Stop by the house and say, I've missed you. I want you to know I love you. and pray. What can I do for you? Can I get you something? Instead of picking somebody up, that's a brother and sister, Lord, you know what we do? We stomp on them. Man, look what they're doing. And we ridicule them. And we smash them further down into the dirt. But that's not the love of the Father. When the, when, the, when the son comes home, what does the father do? He runs to him. He hugs him. He kisses him on the neck. And he cries. You know why? That's the love of the father. And the love of the father is the same love that I'm supposed to have. That I'm supposed to have. God says, Tommy, you're my child. Everything I got is yours. But God, look over there. You're, look what you're doing for them. You never did that for me. Well, Tommy, that's none of your business what I do for somebody else. 
You just pay attention to what I do for you. You see, this, this elder son forgot that everything there at the place was really his. All he could see was this, what the father had not given him. He didn't say, you know, Dad, you're right. Man, I, gotta, I, I mean, everything here is, you're right, you're right. All he could see was, didn't kill a fatty calf for me. I could celebrate with my friends. He didn't see the blessings. He saw what he didn't get. You see, it's not about the works. It's about the relationship. What can we take away from the story today? Well, the elder brother didn't say this. All He said, all these years I've served you. He didn't say this. And you know what, Dad? All these years I've loved you. He didn't say that. I've served you. But he didn't say, I've loved you. And there's a difference. I, I can do a lot of things for God, but you know what? They amount to about this much if I don't have a relationship with him. Because it's all about the relationship. The relationship is first. And then what I do for God is second. You see, he could not see what was done for him, only what was not done for him. You see, God doesn't want my sweat of my brow, though I need to serve him and I need to do things for him. You know what he wants? He wants my heart. He wants my yielded heart. You know, as we get older in these bodies, we slow down and we get to where we can't do what we used to do. And, and, uh, and you finally, if you live long enough, you almost feel like you're a prisoner in your body because you can't walk anymore. You can't do this. You can't do it. Just get, that's just part of life. But you know what? You know what you can always do? You can always pray. And you know what? Even though you might not be able to go and do things you used to do, God can still have your heart always. That's why it's the most important thing. So it does not matter our abilities or our talents or what we do for God. You know what God wants today? He wants my heart. He wants my heart. And you know, I said earlier that I've been guilty of this. I've been guilty of doing, 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 doing but not spending time with the Father. Just, just like this older son, I've, I've done it many times in my life. I'm just going 100 miles an hour, doing all these things for God, when God really wants me to step back and say, why don't you spend some time with me in prayer? Why don't you spend some time in my word? Why don't you just sit down and get quiet and let me speak to your heart? And, and it's not all about the doing, but it's about the relationship. You see, the son's out working in the field, but when he came in in the evening, I don't think he cleaned up and then went in there and sat down with the father and just talked things over with the father about life. There was a separation there. God wants my heart. He wants your heart. Let's bow for a word of prayer.